Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It's officially that time of year, folks. Time for us to run back one of our favorite segments here on the Cracked Interviews Podcast. We have officially reached the NCAA Sweet 16. As such, we are officially ready to unveil our Cracked Racket Sweet 16 press row, where I will attempt to speak with one representative from every remaining Division I team still alive in that NCAA team event. Now, in the past, we've tried to speak with head coaches exclusively. I wanted to mix things up. We've been so fortunate to speak with so many of these head coaches, not just in the past, but in this 2023 season in particular, that, again, I wanted to hear a different perspective on where each of these teams currently sit entering this Sweet 16 weekend. As such, yes, you'll hear from from some head coaches, but you'll also hear from some assistant coaches. You'll hear from some players over the next few days on this podcast. As again, I try to prepare all of us college tennis fans for the start of the NCAA Sweet 16. Before we get to today's episode, have to give a massive shout out to the support we get from our friends at Turna, who not only support this podcast, they support each and every week's episode of The Deciding Point and support tennis players everywhere by providing, simply put, the best grip available on the market. There's a reason all of us as tennis fans can identify a Turner grip on someone's racket. That iconic trademarked blue color, it glistens on each and every tennis court. It's utilized, of course. It's also the best in the business, the most durable. It gets tackier as you sweat. And now they've got the latest iteration of their Turner grip as well as Turner has unveiled. Turner tough. It's just a better version of that Turner grip all of us has come to love. You can, of course, find Turner Grips wherever you shop for your tennis supplies. And look, the next time you got to change your grip, know that Turner not only provides the best in the business, they support our podcasts here as well. So the least we can ask you to do is support them also. A massive shout out to our friends at Turner. Be sure to check out the latest iteration, the Turner Tough Grip today. With that said, let's get to it. Here is an episode from our 2023 NCAA Sweet 16 Press row. The man that sees driving. The amazing Mr. Please, please, please himself. Joining us on the podcast once again today is our dear friend Bruce Burke. Coach, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Always a pleasure. Uh, it is a pleasure to have you back. And look, obviously, you're sitting in a pretty spot. You guys are the number one overall seed. It was a very successful opening weekend for the Longhorns as you guys earned 4-0 victories over Corpus Christi, the 4-0 win over Pepperdine. Talk to me about how you're feeling about the Longhorns right now. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. The guys are uh, reasonably healthy, and we've got all our players active right now, which is <laughs> a big piece of the puzzle always. Um yeah, 4-0 victories, but especially with the Pepperdine match, as is the case with many of these 4-0 matches in the NCAAs, uh, it was a lot tougher than the score indicated because I do think Pepperdine's a strong team. Um, but we were tested a little bit and our guys came through much as they have throughout the season. 
Yeah, it, it was fun to watch, certainly. You're right. That match was closer than the 4-0 scoreline would indicate. And, you know, again, looking at the performance for your guys in that match, you're able to take the doubles point. And, you know, watching your team from afar throughout the course of the year, yes, it has been notable. You've been particularly healthy, but it feels like you've been pretty consistent in the doubles pairings you've played as well. Now, obviously, it helps that Cleve and Elliott had the fall that they did. Of course, Cleve is the reigning NCAA doubles champion. You could throw him with me and you've got a different, uh, you know, a decent doubles team out there. But what's led to that consistency in the pairings this year? Yeah, I've always been of the opinion that while chemistry is important and there are matchups that matter within a team, I always feel like it's, I've never been super quick to pull the trigger about switching up the teams because typically I found when our teams aren't playing well, um, I tend to believe it's because of uh, just simply not executing particular skills. And so um, if you have bunch of bad pieces and you put them in different combinations you still have bad tennis in my opinion so um yeah i'm not gonna bury my head in the sand and say you never have to make a change to spark things but i tend to think it's about executing some simple skills and being disciplined and playing with great energy so that's one thing and then we've done fairly well at every spot we haven't been sometimes i look at other teams uh records and their stat sheets and they always look like these teams never lose and you know we take some losses in doubles and in singles um but overall i feel like we've got a reasonable chance to win every match we play and i do feel like we've gotten better gradually throughout the year Mm -hmm. No, I mean, you're right. The statistics certainly say you guys have had success across the board. And yeah, to take that doubles point over Pepperdine in the fashion you did, particularly impressive. I know you've talked about him all year long, and how could you have not? He's been number one in the country since just about January. He's 20-1 and overall at the number one spot, but you know I fancy myself a college tennis historian, and I know the Bruce Burke coaching Rolodex. You've worked with an Amir Delic. You've worked with a Rajiv Ram. You've worked with a Jason Jung and Evan King. You had Siskard and Ito not that long ago, two of the top 10 players in the country in the top spots for you as a coach. What makes Elliot one of those special guys? You know, what's it been like to coach him this season? Yeah, I've got that qu- first. The first part of your question, I've got that question a few different times, and yeah. I think that makes El- the thing that makes Elliot special in my mind is that he does. He's good at everything. He's very good at everything. You know, when it comes to the particular skills, he's got a good serve, good forehand, which has gotten a lot better. Backhand's very good. He's got good transition skills. He's got good volleys. He's got good competitiveness. He's got high character. Um, You know, he's a really good worker. So he does everything very well. So some compared to like a Ben Shelton or, or John Isner or some guys, Kevin Anderson with an overwhelming obvious weapon, I don't know that. He has that right now, but he's very sound in every area and he doesn't have an obvious weakness. Um, And the guy has had this weird quality this year that the more success he's had, the harder he seems to work. And he's kicked it into overdrive right now. And he's truly the first one on the courts every day and the last one to leave and just wants more and more. So he's just he's getting hungrier and hungrier. And that's a great quality to have as well. 
I'm not saying I would ever recommend this to anyone because if you have the ability to hit a two-handed backhand, why wouldn't you do it? What do you think the year of slicing backhands did for his game? Because you talk about that complete element. I see that as well. And to me, that's a year of having to chip and move forward, a year of having to do all these other things to adjust to not being able to swing through that side. I definitely think that has something to do with it. And I think he would agree with that as well. It didn't make it easy for him. And, and, you know, truthfully, he did have sound technique on his slice before. It's not like he couldn't hit a slice back end or never, um, you know, never used it. He did. And he was really well coached and taught growing up. So he, he was pretty fundamentally sound, but it was a different level when he really had to depend on that and had to depend on the forehand to put him himself, to avoid putting himself in defensive positions. Um, he was really forced to turn those things into an actual strength. So definitely think uh, looking back on it, I don't know that he would choose that situation again, but having gone through that, it really did force him to develop his forehand even more and develop the slice backhand as a, a more dependable tool. Yeah, no, I mean, again, 20-1 speaks for itself. I haven't seen him lose a match this season that he needs to win. And I mean, again, it's 20. He's only lost once. So I guess we haven't right. seen him lose much at all. But it just feels like, you know, again, those Fernley matches, it's just like if you guys drop a doubles point, it's like, all right, well, Elliot's going to get us one back, and now we got to go find right. the three others. And right. it's just, it's one of those special seasons that are such a pleasure to enjoy. The other thing, and I'm not going to lie, you know, again, I like to say I'm honest with the people I interview. Kind of pissed me off, coach, and I say this lovingly. You'll understand why. I like to think it was on this podcast circa 2021 when you guys reached the semifinals, 10 and 1 in four, three matches, a season I'll never forget. Um, you came on this show and we were talking about all the guys and you said, Alex, I appreciate you asking me about everyone, but I have to do five minutes on Nevin Aramilli because I'm just telling you, watch out for Nevin Aramilli. And, uh, you know, again, I saw the TV segment you did on Nevin and his senior year. And that's what made me upset. I was like, you're going to go on TV and give away my story coach. Uh, but you know, for you, I know you talked about it, but the ride of this senior year for Nevin, to see him have the success that he's had all season long. What does it mean to you? What does it say about him? Uh, boy, well, more importantly, what it says about him is, I would say, his stick to mm -hmm. Um, you know, because it's been five years now and he really um, hasn't been a consistent starter throughout his first four years. And really going into the season, it didn't appear that he would be a consistent starter again. I don't think he was counting on that. And truthfully, I don't know that we were counting on that, but uh, we definitely had an open mind. And when we, he was given some opportunities, um, he did cash in on them and uh, he continued to do that. And really, you know, sometimes in practice, you watch guys play in practice and okay, they start to beat one of your better players. It happens once a week and, you know, it happens again the next week and then it starts happening consistently. And he's like, well, you know, maybe, you know, it was the same kind of thing last year with Ishan Talori in doubles when he was a big lift to us at the end, especially when we had some injuries. Um, and he was given his opportunity last year and he made the most of it. And Nevin's done the same thing this year. And, you know, it, it last I think it was last season we played Arizona or maybe it's two years ago at home. We played Arizona and he was put in the lineup at the very last second and came in and the match came down to him and he decided it in the clutch. You know, so he's done it once or twice before. But this year. He's really gotten his opportunity and been super consistent. So um, it's uh, impressive 
for him that he's been able to stick to it and just steadily put in the work, dedicate himself to the summer in the summer to to the sport and getting better, even if he didn't know it would pay off. And then it's a lot of fun for me to see him rewarded. Then, of course, it's a cool story because he's here, a local guy in Austin, and he's get it brings out a lot of people to watch. And, you know, I'm, it's fun for me to see. Um, that he's earned earned uh, some self pride and and confidence and it's a lot of fun and we have another guy Evan McDonald who's who was our a consistent starter at number six um, the year we got to the final four and Evan uh, very honestly is not far behind he's starting to play his best tennis of the year too so he's fully capable as well so um, that's been that's been a good thing you know, Chichi. Um, we, you know, we look like he was going to be the guy this year and he has been the guy in the past and has come through against some really good players. Uh, um, but he had his second surgery this summer and uh, he's playing really good doubles right now, but he wasn't able to get his game up to the level that he's capable of and not for lack of effort. But it was really nice to have Nevin and Evan be ready to, to uh, jump in there and be successful. Yeah, it's a great rhyme too, Nevin and Evan. And, you know, again, to your point, Evan and Chi-Chi 5-0 and at the number three double spot. They're starting to have success there. You know, the lead was buried. I know at some point you're like, Bruce, you still got it when you looked in the mirror. Uh, you know, again, with all the Nevin <laughs> success and just the faith you've had in him. And, you know, again, I mentioned the pedigree of, of your coaching experience. You've seen a lot in college tennis. Have you ever coached a guy in energy like Cleve before? And just what is that energy? How does it permeate through the team? That's a good question. I don't know that I can say I have. I also think in the last five or 10 years, you'll see these like these energy guys yeah. on just about every team like Cleve. Um, and I think that's a somewhat new phenomenon. You know, that you the, the co coaches and players have realized what a huge part that it plays in college tennis now. And, um, you know, and so, but Cleve, this was this was manufactured by Cleve, you know, and with the coaches, to be honest with you, because Cleve, you know, he's always been dedicated and a good little athlete, but and, and a really good worker. But when he first came, you know, especially during that red shirt season, he didn't say a word. You know, and he was a quiet guy on the court and pretty timid, to be honest with you. And, um, you know, we really stressed to him at the beginning that if you want to have a chance, you're going to have to show some strength out there, regardless of score or circumstance of the match. And uh, at times when we called him out on that or pushed him on that, he looked at us um, like we had two heads. But I remember there was a moment at a fall individual tournament where he was playing a guy in Waco, what wasn't a Baylor guy. Um, but uh, you know, he felt like he got a really bad call and he was and he was kind of moping around a little bit. And uh I think Brandon said something to him and he got a little mad and he just went ballistic and went over the top and all of a sudden he started winning. And uh, you know, and that was kind of an aha moment for him. And and, and uh then, you know, his freshman year, his true his uh his redshirt freshman year when he was actually had a chance to play with eligibility. We didn't know who we'd put in the lineup in that first match against Florida. And we, we were back and forth between him and a couple other guys. And we gave him the chance and we said, look, Cleve, whatever you do is okay. You know, we don't need a result from you, but we just need you to show strength and competitiveness and fire regardless of what happens. And he went out there and I think he was playing blaze at number five or six. And he won the first set. He was playing great and terrific energy. And he ended up losing the match, but he kept it up throughout the whole 
time. And then afterwards we, you know, we, we stay stuck with them and just said, look, that's what we want to see. You know, you didn't get to, you didn't get it done, but if you're that guy out there, that's what the team needs. And he stayed in the lineup and he's really never looked back. So um, it's something I think he primarily has learned in college and he recognizes how much better he is um, himself when he plays with energy and fire and how much he brings to the team. So, but back to your question, no, I don't know that I've ever coached somebody who's quite like Cleef out there. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, he's no Barrett Franks. Um, so that, that, that's not the right comp. Um, yeah, no, I know. I remember the South Carolina match, the USC match against Fry in particular in 2021. Right. I just remember watching Cleveland be like, whoa, like, what is this? And yeah, to see he's how a fighter. He's, yeah, to see how he's matured. Again, he's the sort of guy that makes college tennis as special as it is. And, you know, again, I could ask you about all the guys, but you kind of alluded to it earlier. How nice is it just hey, – this is so such a silly framed question, but given your team, particularly last year, all of the struggles, to have PY healthy, to have Micah healthier and healthier as the season progressed, to have the consistency of seam as well, you know, what is it just meant to be healthy all year long? Yeah, I think this year we've had just normal things that yeah. all teams struggle with. You know, Micah had an ankle, Pierre had a knee and a wrist, but nothing that kept anyone out for too long and stuff that you could handle, basically. Last year was over the top, probably something similar to what Stanford has dealt with this year. I've heard you mention that before. So it's been nice. I mean, because honestly, last year, like seemed like 80% of my thoughts was who's going to play what combinations are we use or how are we going to scrounge up another win and, and less on and, and actually how careful we have to be in practice all the time you know people could barely practice and this year it's been more about just coaching and helping the guys get better and get ready to play so it's been it's been a, a it's been a good feeling in comparison to last year to uh, feel like we've got a, a group of normal health this year Mm-hmm. Now, I'm knocking on wood for you, for the record. Exactly. Um, exactly. But yeah, I mean, in terms of those three guys, I'm curious because they all walked into college so talented, all very, very good tennis players as well. W- what has been the focus for that? You know, again, if you can go through them individually in terms of the development this year, what's the next piece for those guys? And how have you got about working that into the season? And so which guys are you talking about? Well, Pierre, you know, uh, Micah and Seam, because those are three guys who, again, it feels like they've been the same players throughout their college careers. And yet, you know, what are the things you guys are doing to continue to improve them on the margins? Oh, boy. I'd say with Pierre, um, probably the most important thing, honestly, is his is his mindset, you know, when he's prepared to be solution-based instead of problem-based, you know, solution-focused instead of problem-focused, he's a much better tennis player because sometimes when things aren't feeling good or like a lot of tennis players, when it's not feeling good or he's struggling, um, you know, he'll get, he can quietly get a little whiny out there. You don't see it or hear it the way we do, um, but that does happen. Uh, but when he's in the right mindset, he just looks so poised and um, professional out there. You saw that, for instance, when he was playing Ken and Kingsley in that big match at the indoors. Um, so that's the mental piece of it that's really important for him and probably really important for all tennis players. With his game, um, serve, and serve 
trying to become a little more offensive so he can get some free points um, beyond just starting the point every time and then looking to be a little more aggressive with his core position so he can actually hurt people. Um, and he's got the ability to do that with this forehand. He's pretty, surprisingly, he's pretty sound at the net. You know, he's able to finish up there pretty competently. Uh, but yeah, I'd say being a little more aggressive with his core position, trying to find uh, more free points with his serve and of course being super sound and professional mentally. Yeah, no, I mean... It is crazy because he is so good. Like, there's a lot of things he can do, and physically, he's just in the fight. He has the size. He has the strength. And, yeah, it it's funny. You're right. It's 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 interesting to hear you say that because you could tell on the days he's locked in. It's like, well, that's going to oh, yeah. be a win at two. And uh, it, it's a really high level of tennis. So exactly, it's yeah. No, it's cool. true. And, and Mike is another one who's yeah. – Mike has got a big – and so does CM, really. But they, I'd say they both have pretty – big gaps between their ceilings and their floors. Exactly it. Yes. Couldn't agree yeah. more. Um, and Micah, in his defense, he had a pretty bad ankle injury back in December. He was playing great before that. You know, he won our 25K here, with which had some really good players in it, and he was pretty dominant in doing so. Um, he's playing really good tennis, and then he messed up his ankle pretty bad. So it's been a gradual process, and we had to take a little time out with him in the middle of the season because his ankle just got worn out. So he missed, I don't know, it was three or four matches in a row, um, but we, the team did well. You know, the, the team this year has beaten Georgia, USC, and a couple other Big 12 teams without Micah in the lineup, which is which was a pretty good accomplishment. But Micah's starting to move close to 100% now, I'd say, pretty much 100%. He told us after this match, that he felt like 100% and had no swelling in his ankle for the first time. Um, for Micah, man, he's he can be like the toughest guy you'll ever see. I've seen it so many times. He like He's so tough sometimes when he's locked in, but sometimes when he's not feeling confident or things are a little bit off for him, he can get rattled. You know, so um, it's it's a similar story. Like he looks like he's can be be pretty intimidating because he's such a good ball striker. He hits the ball pretty big and heavy on both sides, and so when he gets locked in and isn't missing, he's really tough to beat. You know, so as far as his development, I would say the biggest thing is trying to learn how to manage his weapons um, and understand how to make some small adjustments in his game when he's missing a little bit or he's off without getting defensive. And then to try to continue to work on getting better at finishing points at the net. And his serve is big, but the first serve can sometimes come and go. So we need to try to um, manage that weapon as well. So I'd say that's the biggest thing is managing his tools and trying to get a little more sound at the net and uh, and being able to learn how to self-regulate a little bit better when things are all not feeling perfect. Yeah, no, I, I mean, again, it, it's a really fun group to watch because of the peak level. All the guys in your lineup are capable of playing. And I'm, I'm curious because in any other year, you know, you'd look at your roster and you're like, yeah, that's the unequivocal national championship favorite. But of course, this is a season where with the extra year of COVID eligibility, all 16 teams, you could say that about in a traditional year, they'd feel very good about their chances. And, you know, when the talent is equal, I have learned it really does come down to what teams trust each other to all or, you know, yeah. and there's three third set matches, all these little things, those off the court bonds matter. I know this is a group that's been around each other for a while now, but I'm curious and Caroline Lily gave me a really fun answer to this. This is why I want to ask 
What are the things this group does off the court to ensure that, again, they have that it factor? Like, is this a card-playing group? I could see this group running up Euchre games. I could see, you know, I could see Harper running a massive just uh, – everyone's got debts to Harper because he's just taking all their <laughs> cash in poker. Yeah, uh, I mean – What's this team doing? You know, I don't even think it's purposeful. Honestly, I don't think they made a decision. Okay, we're going to hang out because we need to do it so we can become a close team so we can be good and we can win in the big moments. I don't even think it's that. I just think they genuinely like each other. Yeah. It's, you know, we have, they all like each other. They love hanging out together They're with each other all the time. There we have, uh, Lucas is in the dorm. He's a red shirt, you know, he's red shirting and Nevin lives in a house somewhere with some other athletes, I think swimmers, but the other eight guys live in two apartments of four right next to each other. Um, so they're, they're with each other all the time. I think I hear a lot about some pretty competitive FIFA games going on and some <laughs> different, different video games and stuff like that. They're, fortunately in Austin, when they do have time off, there's some fun stuff to do here. So I think they're hanging out with each other a lot. Um, and as far as the little activities go, I'm always asking, like we have a pool table in our players lounge. I hear about FIFA. I hear about these video games. I'm always asking who, so who's the best at this? Who's the best at that? It always seems to be Cleve. Cleve seems to be, Cleve seems to be the best at everything. You know, all these, you know, backyard sports and, but Elliot will probably tell you differently, but it, it, it seems like Cleve's pretty good at stuff. And I think there is some card playing too, but um, FIFA is probably the one I hear the most about. I, for some reason, my invitation seems to get misplaced in those games. <laughs> I can't say I've ever witnessed it in person, but I think there's some of that going on. Well, for the record, all that checks out. That very much matches with the perception. A hundred. He's just in their heads. That's that's yeah. what I'm. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what it all comes down to. Always. Well, through all of that, again, this is a group you've coached for a while. Like this is yeah. your first groups from Spiz, and you know, see them all the way through. Have there been any surprises for you in this 2023 season, positively or negatively? What's been the biggest surprise for you? No negative surprises. Um, And let's see. Good question. Um, You know, I believed in all of our guys. I believe in every one of our guys. I don't think we have anybody on the team that I don't think is capable of helping us on the court. Every one of our guys I think is capable. So I can't say there's a big surprise. Um, I guess pleased and pleasantly surprised that Nevin Aramurli has emerged not only to be a more than competent player in the lineup, but also a competitor whose toughness and uh, grittiness and clutch nature is a strength. Yeah. You know, um, Yuya Ito was here this weekend. He came to Japan for the, from Japan for the first time to visit since, you know, the season was cut short in 2020 due to COVID. And, uh, you know, Nevin played his match and probably played one of the worst matches of the year, I think he would tell you, in this last match against Pepperdine, although the Pepperdine player played well. And I asked you what he thought. And he's like, wow, Nevin's gotten so much better. You know, he's become a real competitor. And and uh, you know, so that's been really fun to see. We talked about that already. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, no big surprises, but it's been pleasing to see a lot of the guys emerge and, and really all of the guys um, – be good team players before the season you know Sim didn't have a great year last year and he was struggling with some things and it was really nice to see him have such a good fall and be pretty consistent throughout the year in terms of his uh work ethic and competitiveness and level of play so that's been you know i, I knew he was capable but after last year i would i like many other people would be wondering what this year would bring us and 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 fortunately it's 
brought us the best version of CM. So a lot of good, um, mild surprises, I'd say. Yeah, no, maybe the best surprises that there have been, knock on wood, no health surprises. That's right. Far. We'll keep right. knocking and sure. hoping that's the case. Well, then, last few questions for you. Sweet 16 coming up. You face a UNC program. I know you have a lot of respect for, you know, Sam Paul well. Uh, talk to me about that matchup. Your thoughts on the Sweet 16. What's it going to take for the guys? Yeah, we haven't played North Carolina in several years. I think a few of the freshmen, Eli Cleve and Chi-Chi, and, were on – were on the team when we played them last, I think, but that's about it. So, um, you know, I know about their players a little bit and have seen them at individual tournaments, but firsthand experience in the last two or three years we don't have. Um, so we'll work to try to be ready for them. I know that they're good. I know that they're always super competitive, and I know that they usually play great doubles, and I know they have some big guys in the team who serve really big. A lot of lefties. Yeah, so – I think it's going to be really challenging. You know, we've had a really good season and we've beaten a lot of really good teams. But I also know, and so do our guys, that a lot of those matches that we've won could have gone either way. And I know North Carolina is capable of of beating us. They're certainly good enough to beat us. So we're going to have to be ready to be at our best or close to it to have a good chance to get through. Mm -hmm. This is a two-part question, I know, but I'm curious what advantages there are to have this super regional at home and then you know more broadly your thoughts I know we've talked about it before but super regional versus sweet 16 at one site what do you prefer uh yeah I think having the super regional is a, has been a good thing and I think it is a good thing um if you can promote home matches with really good environments if you have both men and women at the same site if that's a given um to have 32 teams at that site and guarantee that each match is going to be played at a time where you're going to have some good attendance and some good energy is probably an impossible task. So I think given that the men and women are together, I think the super regional concept is a good one and probably the way to go. What does it say about Texas tennis that you guys are hosting both a men's and women's event this weekend? It says that in the last uh, four or five years, both programs have been at a good level and this year is not an exception. And, uh, and it's it's enjoyable to have um, both the, both teams there together because both teams really do support each other well. Mm -hmm. No, it's a fun weekend. There's no doubt about that. Well, then, last two questions for you before I let you go. I know you are someone who does follow things that are happening across the country. You're just a fan of college tennis more broadly. Is there a team, coach, player storyline in what's been a really exciting year in college tennis outside of your program that has particularly impressed you this season? Uh, yeah, I don't know firsthand much about them at all because I don't see them. All I do is see the results. Um, but the emergence of Utah in the Pac-12 has been pretty cool, I think. It's always nice when you see a team that hasn't been traditionally a powerhouse have that kind of success. I think it's good for college tennis. Um, I think what uh, Ohio State and Michigan are doing in the Big Ten um, the last several, well, Ohio State for a long time now in Michigan, uh, especially in the last handful of years, has been really impressive. I think I know Ohio State's gotten the better of them, um, you know, this year so far. But I do think to have that kind of success in the Big Ten has been really is, is an impressive thing. So that's really good. And, you know, I have to also tip my hat to uh, what uh, Coach Roditi is doing at, at TCU um, because they've they've been really at the top. Um in recent years and to win the national indoors and also the big 12 tournaments, a pretty good accomplishment. And, uh, 
and I I tip my cap to our guys as well, um, because if you can win, if you can get a conference championship in a conference that has the number one team in the country at the time, and now we are, but TCU was, then you're doing something right. Uh, so yeah, those are the those are the things that pop to my mind. Four matchups with TCU. What's that like playing a team four times in one year? Uh, well, we definitely definitely means we. Uh, we don't have to work as hard um, <laughs> in getting scouting notes beforehand. Yeah. You know, we know we know what we know what we we know what we're going to face each time. Um, but I think, you know, we respect TCU in terms of the level of their their uh, the level of their tennis. They've got a lot of really good players, but I also think that their guys are good guys. You know, they're um, fair on the court. They compete hard after the matches, win or lose. We're all I see all the guys kind of spontaneously coming together and congratulating each other, whoever wins. And uh, I think that shows that they respect each other and and uh, it's not a hate. There's not a hatred. There's a rivalry, but there's not a hatred at all. And uh, we respect Devin and David for what they're doing. And and I think it seems to be a mutual feeling. So it's a it's a good thing. So four times is a lot, um, but I'm glad we were able to get at least a couple of them this year. Yeah, well, I mean, some are arguing we need the tiebreaker. And, of course, that breaker would be in the national championship. So something we could all look forward to. My last one in that spirit, you think there's a favorite? 16 teams left, Super Regionals this weekend. Is there a favorite right now to capture the title? I can't say that there's one favorite. I mean, but I think if you look at the top of the rankings, there's a handful of teams up there that that all have a good chance. I think there are a lot of teams that are capable of winning the whole thing but I think there's probably you know four or five teams that are uh more likely you know to have the best chance to be in the final but no I I wouldn't say there's one favorite mm-hmm. no for the record I don't think that's a cop-out I think that speaks to the depth and again we don't have a 2018 Wake Forest or the early Virginia USC teams before that there's no clear-cut favorite it feels like 2019 2021 2022 where things are wide open it's gonna be really fun and obviously the number one overall seeds University of Texas men's tennis team are going to be in the mix and it's been uh, such a joy to watch your team compete all season long and as I've said on other shows my favorite of the moment of the season to date after the, the semifinal match, Texas, 4-3 over Michigan. Again, this is why I'm so fond of you. What is the first thing you do after winning the match over Michigan? You come up to the booth to do an interview. You go, sorry, Alex. And I just thought it put the biggest smile on my face. I was like, "Don't have, you never have to apologize for something that wonderful. So, Coach, it is always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you. I appreciate your tolerance of my nonsense. And obviously looking forward to watching you and the team compete this weekend. All right. Well, thanks for all the hard work you're putting in for college tennis. And thanks for having me on. No, of course. Hook them, Coach. All right. Hook them. See you. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Hope all of you enjoyed this edition of our 2023 NCAA Sweet 16 Press Row. A massive thank you to every player and coach who participated in this series. We're all excited for the home stretch of the 2023 NCAA season. Hopefully these episodes help all of you feel more prepared for the impending action. Speaking of which, if you need to catch up on anything that's happened in this NCAA tournament, Tuesday, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern time, we'll have episodes of The Deciding Point recapping everything that happened to date. Of course, we'll also have coverage of the Sweet 16 Friday, Saturday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. We'll have coverage of the quarterfinals of the D1 event. We're also going to start to work in some D2, D3 coverage as well. So rest easy, college tennis fans. We have you covered with coverage of everything that'll happen down the stretch of this 2023 season. Of course, a shout out here at Crack Rackets to the man who makes all of that possible. Our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our dear friends at Turna for their support. Turna Tough, best grip in the business. You can find it wherever you shop for your tennis supplies today. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turna, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone.